is another week of Manuary, and I have another interesting, hilarious, all-around great literary throwback conversation to share with you. This one is all about the first book in the beloved Bailey School Kids series, which was published in 1990 with the title, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. You'll hear me share more about this in the episode, but I kind of missed the whole Bailey School Kids series. So it was a fun and slightly weird experience to come to this book for the first time at 29 years old. Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots tells the story of a classroom of third graders who are absolutely convinced that their new teacher, Mrs. Jeepers, is a vampire. Because, you know, of course. The book is only 80 pages long, but it still offers so much to discuss. On episode 79, we chat about our own transitions from reading kids' books to adult books, reminisce about the joys of popcorn reading and being read to in class, and consider how ambiguous cliffhanger endings play to kid readers. We ponder the many hilarious titles in the Bailey School Kids series and consider how the author's experiences as teachers may have informed the way the books unfold. We make weird goldfish noises into the mic, I know it's weird, but keep listening anyway, and look for perfectly reasonable explanations for Mrs. Jeeper's behavior to prove that she might not actually be a vampire. There's a ton of laughing on this episode, and also I sound very congested because when we recorded, I had just come back from Thailand with a nasty cold. Oh well. I am so excited to tell you about this week's guest. Well, guests, plural. By popular demand, I reached out to the hosts of the Overdue podcast for Manuary, and I was thrilled when Andrew and Craig said yes. For those who don't know, Overdue is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. Join the hosts each week as they tackle a new title from their own backlog. Classic literature, obscure plays, goofy murder mysteries, they'll read it all, one Overdue book at a time. Andrew and Craig have been doing the show since 2013, so they're real podcast veterans, and they've covered a wide range of titles from Infinite Jest and Gone with the Wind to Twilight and the Fifty Shades series. They also recently completed their long read project, Stop, Homer Time, which was a book-by-book journey through Emily Wilson's translation of The Odyssey. Andrew and Craig's newest long read show within a show, Hellboys, is about Dante's Divine Comedy, translated by Robert and Jean Hollander. If you're a fan of SSR and aren't listening to Overdue, you need to be, which you'll be absolutely sure of by the end of this episode. Learn more at www.overduepodcast.com or across social media at OverduePod. Thanks so much to Andrew and Craig for adding one more book to their already extensive reading list so they could join me for Manuary on SSR. Thanks also to my wonderful Patreon sponsors who help keep this show going and growing. Did you know that for as little as $1 per month, you can support SSR's production and get some cool rewards in return? Well, you can on Patreon. I recently added our brand new SSR stickers as a reward for all Patreon patrons. Learn more at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can continue to lend your support by leaving five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. These are super important for the growth of the podcast, so if you enjoy SSR and haven't left one yet, I'd encourage you to head over to iTunes, yes, right now, and rate us five stars. Better yet, share your favorite things about SSR in a review. It only takes a few seconds, and I really appreciate it. You can also support the show by being part of the conversation on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. For all of your audiobook needs in 2020, remember that Libro.fm is the way to go. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Libro.fm continues to innovate too, and just this week launched a very cool thing called Bookstore Link. 
be on the lookout for links to some of my favorite books on audio, which will then direct you to a page where you can choose your fave independent bookstore and support them with your purchase. As always, SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOB when prompted to cash in on that discount. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Craig. Welcome to SSR. Thanks. Hi. (laughs) Not to put any pressure on you or on the situation, but I have to tell you that you guys collectively were, I think, maybe the most requested guest for Manuary this year. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of overlap in our listeners. That's good. And lots of people wanted to hear from you. And the book we're talking about is also a hotly requested title. So again, no pressure, (laughs) but like we, you know, there's a lot of people that are excited for this. I mean, in this in this fast paced, high pressure podcasting world, I think you just have to be prepared for this kind of thing when it happens, right? Like, I, I feel I'm I feel chill. I'm good. Yeah, you just have to I'm be ready to jump you. in, take the opportunity yeah. as it comes, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm terrified. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that I could only mess this up. I'm glad to hear that there are some friendly listeners out there who will recognize us and are excited to be here. But who oh boy, what if I? What if I don't get it right? This is like when we do like works of classic literature that people have really strong opinions about. And then we like only make fun of part of the middle. And then they're like, why didn't you talk about the rest of it? And we're like, well, we have 300 episodes to tell you what the show's like, you know, by now. Yeah. See, I feel uh, like we're going to be just fine. Cause I have, I share that experience. I share the experience <laughs> of being terrified when I talk about to kill a mockingbird and also the experience of like being terrified when I criticize one of the babysitters of the babysitters club and not the other. So like we have it on both spectrums. So I think we're going to know how to communicate, how we're going to like speak to the masses. And I will say that the SSR community is a very friendly one. So don't stress. Everybody's very excited to have you. <laughs> Great. Okay. We are excited to be here. Craig is scared. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> All right. Everybody take a deep breath. No stress. Here we are. We're talking about Bailey School Kids. How can you be stressed out when you're talking about the Bailey School Kids? We're talking about the first title in the series, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. I'd love to talk about why you decided that this was the book that you wanted to chat about on SSR. Yeah. Craig, do you want to go? Yeah, I do. Because I don't think I'd heard about these books before. And so you gave us a couple options and I was like, this sounds good. I liked the name and I looked up the series because like, is this a is this a series I should have known about? And I don't I couldn't really place it. But then I saw a bunch of the other titles in the series and I thought this is a book for me. Because there are easily, what, like 50 to 8, maybe more. There's maybe more like than 80. 80. Yeah, because there's, there's all these like books. series extensions. So there's like the main yes. series and then there are like super specials and like holiday ones. There's a whole range. So I saw I saw that one of them was called Dracula Doesn't Rock and Roll. And I was like, this sounds good. Or Ninjas Don't... Seems- 
Go ahead. What about what do you want to say no, about Dracula? Say, that seems that seems prescriptive. Like it does. Do you feel like he does though? Wants. Rock and roll. Don't you think maybe he feels like more of a rock and roll guy? I just he, if you have infinite time, right? Mm. And you have a big castle, so nobody's going to call the cops on you for being too noisy. Like, I think he has time to get good at rock and roll if he wants to. That's true. But mm. maybe he's been around long enough that he knows that rock and roll is passe. It was always a fad, and he's over mm. it. Sure. Why ninjas don't bake pumpkin pie is a thing that I'm still wondering. <laughs> pumpkin pie is delicious. Well, and they could probably do it very fast and efficiently. Yeah, very sneakily. Right. Yes. So, and they can probably clean up really well, which is the real challenge in a <laughs> pie baking project. If you were a ninja, you could like take care of the mess really fast. So like, why wouldn't you try to make a pie? Truth. Skeletons <laughs> also don't play tubas. Um, that makes sense because you don't like, have you played a tuba? You need a lot of like lung capacity yes, just to blow into that thing. They and do skeletons not. famously have no lungs. <laughs> They're very well known for their not lungs. The key True. part of being a skeleton is the lack of organs generally. Um, okay. I think the Santa Claus not mopping floor ones is pretty... <laughs> Well, well, that's just that's is that, Santa has people for that. I mean, is I that because that sense Mrs. Claus is responsible for mopping the floors? Because that seems mm. a little unreasonable. Mm. Yeah, it does, I mean, it does seem unreasonable. I think the elves could take a break from like making PlayStations and Apple Watches and stuff to mop the floors. It's the least that's they could I do. Did. Put down yeah. those Beyblades. Pick up a mop. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, a hilarious set of titles. When I Andrew, I said this sounds fun. What what did you think anything about it? Were you I mean that that's what I thought too because like you Craig, I had, I missed these uh as a school kid. I think we, we all have, you know, our our series yes. of like long running kids chapter books that we keyed into. Like I was big into Goosebumps. Yes. I read some Matt Christopher books. Yes. I did sneak some of my sister's Babysitter Club books. Nice. Sometimes. I read a lot and, of the yeah. Young Jedi Knights books that are no longer <laughs> canon, but that's fine. Do you feel like you wasted your time now that they're not canon? I, I wasted some beach trips reading those books. Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> Is any beach but, reading like really wasted though? Like truly. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just, I saw the, uh, obviously the titles, but then also just the, like the prolificness. Mm. And I really, I, I wanted to get into it to explore a little bit. Yeah. So I did not read them myself. I was aware of them. So the first book came out in 1990, the one we're talking about. And um, so it's the exact same age as me, fun fact. Um, and <laughs> I feel like books that were kind of like this length, this format, I just sort of missed because I was such a big reader that like, I kind of feel like I went from picture books and like Dr. Seuss to like more of a babysitter's club esque kind of book. Like I just, this sort of like 70, 80 page chapter book, not to sound like an asshole, just like never like appealed to me, (laughs) I guess as a kid. Um, so I feel like I missed a lot of these sort of like junior chapter books. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it just wasn't my thing. Now that you mentioned that, I'm trying to think what my own transition from kids books to chapter books was. I feel like it was Goosebumps, but like my mom also got me into like The Hobbit really early. So maybe I just felt like I... 
and Narnia was a big thing for me too. So yeah, maybe, maybe I just skipped over these because I wanted to, I don't know, read the stuff that my mom was reading. Cause moms are cool, but I, also yeah. goosebumps is more substantial. I mean, those books are more substantial yeah. than these. So yes. yeah, certainly this is like definitely something you would skip, but like I never read magic tree house, which I know is another like hugely popular series from this era. And I feel like they're maybe a little bit longer than these Bailey school kids books. But like, again, mm-hmm. just, I, I skipped them. So I knew about these books, but when all of these listeners were asking me about them, I just like wasn't familiar. I think I may have read the Santa Claus one at some point just because like I was into Santa Claus and I saw it at the library, but this was not like a series that I was interested in. And then when I was learning about it and like trying to get a sense of what the overall theme of the series was, I was like, this is, this is super weird. And I probably wouldn't have liked it anyway as a kid. (laughs) I was struck that it's like co it's co-authored and always has been mm-hmm. by Marsha T. Jones and Debbie Dady, I believe. Yeah. I listened, I listened to her pronounce her own voice and I believe I remember it correctly. And they were both like teachers working in the same school or one was a teacher and one was a librarian at the same time. And they were kind of dealing with rowdy kids and then decided what if we wrote a book about what we could do to them and like envisioning (laughs) how they deal with adults that they don't understand which is just really cool and yeah it seems born out of dealing with readers of this age that i think yeah i kind of maybe skipped it too or i just don't recall whatever i was reading when when folks might have read these books in my mind i went right from tom mulligan's steam shovel to my side of the mountain like i don't know what i read in between in like first sure. and second grade i mean I you gotta no get idea. in some of those like like your shilohs or your Ooh. where the red fern grows is like sure. some of your sad dog books are <laughs> classic early chapter books i'm glad you you made a point to say that you're aware that those are both sad dog books because i want to I, when <laughs> yeah. you were listing those two I, I was like a little concerned for a second i was like did you ever read a book where the dog lived i just want to make sure yeah, no i mean it's a whole subgenre of 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 early chapter book though is like old yeller and then those two i don't i guess yep. i can't name any others off the top of my head but three is enough to be like its own genre yes <laughs> it's just heavy it's a heavy reading and i hope for your sake that you didn't read them back to back or anything like that because that would really no, uh, no. ruin maybe reading as a whole for you and also dogs probably <laughs> it would ruin dogs you're <laughs> it's right so sad to think about oh my god <laughs> i feel terrible for you so this series as i understand it which is like i didn't understand the ending of this book so i finished yes. the book and was like very frustrated by it because listeners like i'm sure that no one unless you have kids have read this particular book recently i think a lot of the other books we talk about um maybe people are more likely to have reread just because they are longer and there's like a little bit more to them, but this is a 77 page chapter book. So I would think that it's not something that a lot of people are going to reread. It takes like 10 minutes to read it. So not a huge time commitment there, but there's really no resolution. Like the end of the book is basically like the kid says, I'm not going to tell you what happened with the teacher who we think is a vampire. And so they all are sort of like, okay, I guess we won't ever find out if she's a vampire and everybody goes on their merry way and like lives the rest of their school year without really talking about it again. And I was super annoyed by the ending and I like marked up the last page of the book and I was like, what the hell? Like who would think this is a great ending of a book? Who wants to read this? (laughs) But according to my research, I guess this is the format for all of the books. Like in every one of the books in the series, the kids think that one of the adults is some sort of a mythical creature. Um, They spend 
50 to 60 pages trying to figure it out and get to the bottom of it. And then at the end, they never know. That part is wild to me because, <laughs> may, okay, maybe it's ambiguous whether she is a vampire or not. But it is there. there is pretty incontrovertible evidence in this book that she is some manner of magical being. Like she clearly hypnotizes a kid with her brooch or, or whatever it is. Her eyes flash in a way that is described very distinctively several times. Like she, she's got something going on. Like maybe she's just a mind flayer and not a vampire, <laughs> but yeah, it, she's not just a person. It, yeah. I, w- I too was shocked that it is like, that is a hallmark of the series is the title introduces like what, the adult might be oh well vampires don't wear polka dots so she can't be a vampire and then you meet her mrs jeepers very early in the book and you're like okay well this is the woman who we're going to wonder if she's a vampire for the whole book and then yeah you get to the end and you don't know no one knows it's not even like a character is keeping a secret other than mrs jeepers right and You, the reader, I guess, are left to speculate. I guess that's a cool gift to give to a kid is like, hey, read this book. And then by the end of it, maybe you'll think they're a vampire or you'll wonder exactly what she is. And then your imagination can go from there. But it does to an adult reader. It does feel like a squandered opportunity to either like subvert, meet or otherwise upend expectations. It feels like an oddly paced ending. I guess reading reading about other books in the series, there's a whole it, there's a series of eight uh, super specials they're called Uh-oh. that are all focused on Mrs. Jeepers, including <laughs> books like Mrs. Jeepers' <laughs> Secret Cave and Mrs. Jeepers on Vampire Island. And are the books still trying to be ambiguous about whether she's a vampire or not the whole time? Or does it caught like in book number two, it's like, Oh yeah, she's a vampire. Let's oh, do go. you mean Mrs. Jeepers <laughs> batty vacation? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's number two in the series. I mean, are you volunteering to read all of them? Cause it kind of sounds like you might be. And if you are, then I think you should report back and let us know. It would only take an hour. Like I could go and do it. It's true. Back before I don't know. They're super recording. specials. That means they're twice as long, probably mm, true. 160 pages. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird to read these as an adult. And obviously I read a lot of books now as an adult that are meant for younger readers. And to some degree, I'm always kind of having to suspend some level of disbelief or like try to put myself back in middle school or high school, in this case, really elementary school. But I would say like this book more than any other book I've read for the podcast, like it was almost impossible for me to like suspend the appropriate level of disbelief because I was just so frustrated by it. And it was like, like you said, I feel like somebody should know the answer to this question. It was hard for me getting to the end of it and realizing like there was nothing really that I was supposed to be trying to get to the bottom of because there's no solution. And I I don't know, it just frustrated me a lot. And I think like, of course, it should frustrate me as an adult reader. It's not written for me. And I think you're right that there is some joy <laughs> in giving this to a kid and being like, okay, you figure out if Mrs. Jeepers is a vampire. I think that's true, but it, it is hard coming to this as an adult without any child involved and then trying to like sure. have a commentary about it. Yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you have um, teachers who actually read to you at all? Like this is a thing that my sixth grade teacher did was he read us um, I think A Wrinkle in Time and and Where the Red Fern Grows both. I remember um, a lot of popcorn just, reading. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I remember. I can't place 
a teacher reading to us after like picture books, like after like I'm going to read the page, show the page kind of stuff. But it was an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting way to consume a book, you know, like week by week, day by day, however the unit of time was. But the interesting thing about it is that it does create like a lot of opportunities to actually dig into a book and like discuss it and what you think about what's happening. And it does seem like this book is maybe because it's written by teachers geared to be a group read where you put it down and then the teacher talks to like first or second or third graders about like, Oh, do you think she's a vampire? Why or why not? Like it's, it's a sort of, it's a primer to, like interrogating a text, I guess, yeah. if, if I'm going to get all like ivory towery about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, there were a few things that I loved more as an elementary schooler than being read to and being read like from a chapter book. Once we graduated from that picture book stage, like I loved when teachers would read a couple of pages from a chapter book every day. And I had a lot of teachers that did that. I think you're right that this is a great sort of intro to book club. And when I was researching or like, there's, I mean, there's not that much out there about this series that I found. Um, but when I was trying to do a deep dive into this book and this series for our conversation, so much of what I found was like discussion guides and book club guides. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like this book probably is best consumed, maybe intended to be consumed in that way because Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity, especially for like third and fourth graders to be like, so do you think she's a vampire or like what would you do to figure out if she's a vampire? Um, I think maybe that's probably like the best way to read it. And to your point, maybe it, it came from the fact that it was teachers behind the series. Yeah, it would explain why the book doesn't come out and say she's a vampire, but does leave like very obvious breadcrumbs. Like she hypnotizes a kid (laughs) and she takes him out in the hallway and does some unspeakable thing to his mind. And then he can't talk about it. It's very strange. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought it was very strange when she like grabbed the kids, like when she grabbed them and pulled them into her house, that for me was possibly even weirder than the hypnotizing moment because the kids are just sort of like snooping around at her house, which they obviously think is haunted um, as kids do. And she's like, Oh great. I'm lonely. You should come in and like grabs them and pulls them inside, um, which is obviously inappropriate (laughs) on so many levels and would be like my first red flag, but not that she was a vampire, but just that like there's something going on, like she needs some friends or she needs to have some other things going on so that she's not so lonely that she needs to pull children into her home. Yeah, 1990 was a different time, but I don't think it was that different. No. That sounds like a stretch. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's forgivable. I, I think it's interesting, like the setup of this book feels very keyed into what an elementary schooler might be thinking about, right? Where it's like, okay, I was never in a classroom whose primary goal was to make teachers go away. Like, I I can't quite identify with that because the book does open up with our main characters just being, just delighting in a woman getting her hands covered in mint shaving cream and being told to leave. Oh, yeah, they destroy right. a woman's career. Yeah, yes. she... F- Presumably she goes to Alaska, they say. Well, and I don't know if you, in the in the illustration, like she's also like an older woman. So like now this elderly, probably lovely career educator um, is now yes. out of a job because you guys just think it's fun <laughs> to give people a hard time during yeah. their work days. Just six months from retirement. Yes. <laughs> um, shame. The illustrations are by John Stephen Gurney. They're all very, very good. And then, yeah, the next day or after some interminable amount of time, unclear if they got a substitute 
and ran those people ragged or not. But then we get their egg-shaped principal introducing Mr. Mrs. Jeepers, <laughs> who has a strange accent, has very simple rules that they all think are like make her a pushover. And Eddie, oh god, Eddie the is problem. like, let's get rid, let's get we rid gotta of talk her. About Eddie. And I just, I just don't know. I'm sure I knew Eddie's. I was not an Eddie, but I don't think I've ever been in a classroom that was that teacher antagonistic. That was like, and I'm sure this is kind of played up for laughs for like, right. right. Um, I feel like the way the kids treat her has like a substitute, like substitute teacher energy. Like if it's somebody who, you know, is temporary and you don't need to respect their authority, like you do your normal teacher, this is how you treat them. Yeah. I don't know, man. Eddie, think, Eddie thinks he can erase every teacher from existence. Like Eddie's goal is to abolish teachers. Yeah, I, I made a note where when he had said like, okay, now we're going to get rid of Mrs. Jeepers. I wrote in my book in all caps, to what end? Like, <laughs> so you're going to get rid game? of Mrs. Jeepers now. And then the- are you going to continue to do this with the next teacher? Like, what's the point? At, at what point are you just going to realize, like, there's going to be a teacher in my classroom and I'm going to have to live with them? I, I don't understand what the end goal is, really. True. Mm-hmm. Eddie is a reformer who is railing against the establishment, I think yes. is what, what this book makes clear. Mm-hmm. And he and he is out to, like, <laughs> prove that th- this apparently happens in the other books, too. He is the first one to be like, well, this person's not xyz monster i'm just gonna get in there and eddie them until they prove to be mortal and flee me because i'm amazing whereas like the other kids like liza in particular is like thinks that their next teacher is going to come out of a book that she read like she is an imaginative little girl who is more than happy to entertain that this vampire woman is here to rule them forever and then we have melody and howie who like Come and go throughout the book. Melody, I think, has the next like biggest role after Eddie. She doesn't take any crap from Eddie, basically. <laughs> I mean, I do. I have to say, this teacher to student ratio is really exceptional. That's true. That's one of the things I noticed as I an think. Adult. Wait, there are maybe like eight kids in this class. There are four main characters, and every class has main <laughs> characters. Let's be honest. I feel like um, it's maybe a private school because it's a really small class. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But then Eddie has like obvious undiagnosed like behavioral issues he that probably, somebody yeah. needs to deal with. So yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I pulled out one sure. quote where it's, he says, Eddie couldn't believe how well the class was behaving. It really bothered him. <laughs> Nobody had thrown a paper wad of spitball for days. It was as if Mrs. Jeepers had turned everyone into a goody goody. Everyone but Eddie. Eddie hated being good. It made him sick. He was just itching to cause some trouble. I just love that Eddie's like default mode is anarchy. Like he's like something is awry if people are actually behaving and being calm like something is wrong um it's so dramatic it's pretty good though his 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 world as he understands it has been turned upside down by this teacher who can command attention and respect and he is not going to take it lying down it's a power struggle yeah (laughs) i just like that his so that so like after they learn that she is like moved into the creepy house in town which is and you were saying it's like it is weird that she's immediately like come into my house children right like Like, i'm moving like that seems weird to me and it doesn't seem like someone who would get a back like did she get her background checks cleared like from (laughs) creepy romania and then as someone who just on the street will pull children into her house like that doesn't seem right yeah maybe it's not a private school i don't know maybe i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) the thing that the thing that terrified me the most about that interaction actually is one of the kids says 
no, we have to go home. We have homework. And she says, no, I didn't assign you homework. Come on in. And to call, you know, we all tell these small white lies to get out of social engagements. And we all know that they're not real, but we don't, we don't call attention to it. True. Yes. <laughs> and she is breaking that, that important social norm, like the, the right that all humans have to make up something to get out of meeting a casual acquaintance. Yeah, that's my basic human right. And if, if people started <laughs> calling me out on that, then I would yeah. be put in a lot of situations that I have absolutely no desire to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's, talk about anarchy. I think society just falls apart. So that was, it was tough. Yeah, every Manny Manic Pixie Dream Girl character has been like, no, you don't have stuff to do, Steven. Let's <laughs> go ride a motorcycle. Like, that's every one of those movies. And she, <laughs> I mean, Mrs. Jeepers is, might as well be a vampire Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, um, I was going to say, are kids. we calling her a Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I don't know. That's see, I don't actually like that term, and so I probably shouldn't deploy it on this book. But um, <laughs> is she Zoe is, Deschanel? Like, I'm not sure who or well, how are that, we imagining okay. her. That's not. If I was going to pick a Deschanel to play her in the screen adaptation, it would probably be Emily Deschanel. Actually. Andrew, but we can't. That's... We can't just go on someone else's podcast and talk about bones. <laughs> No, I'm not. I didn't talk about Bones. You talk about Bones. Oh, no. I just talked about Emily Deschanel. Is this becoming a Bones podcast? Andrew, no. (laughs) Andrew, I can't promote Andrew's nascent Bones podcast on someone else's podcast. It isn't even overdue. It's not. No. (laughs) Guys, don't break up, please. I don't want to break up the overdue podcast just because you were hotly requested for Manuary. I'm really sorry. Anyway, so the kids explore this haunted house and they come away with more questions than answers. So what happens next? Well, then we get Eddie's like, here's we. I I thought about this because we were talking about Eddie as a force of anarchy. Right. And like what he does, because he's like, let's go. And he's mad that everyone's behaving. And here are step by step what he does. He crinkles paper very loudly. Mm -hmm. He drums his pencil (laughs) on the desk. He makes goldfish noises? Mm-hmm. What is that? I'm picturing it more as like a goldfish face. And I was thinking about doing it on mic, but <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. First of all, we just met. They, and yeah. um, <laughs> no, I feel like the noise is like when you do that thing where you like squeeze your lips together and then some, or I'm just going to do it. It's like, <laughs> like it sounds really like oh, yeah, right? I know, I know. Oh, sure. It's like, I was going to, my version is like a more hollow, like. <laughs> Okay. This is the this best is a, radio. This is good. Amazing RL. <laughs> really good content. Really great. So there's like a whole there's like an image of him doing it. Like and, and I guess people are like laughing and finding him funny. And then he just stands up and drops his math book on the floor, like very loudly. <laughs> and we get the first of like three or four moments where she just stares at him and goes, That's enough. I've had enough. <laughs> Taking and control. Then the, He's just like the next day. It's like let me sh- sharpen my pencil real loud and wiggle my yeah, hips. Yeah, I like when he was wiggling his hips. I really wanted to make sure we got to that where he's like, you know what? How I'm really gonna fuck things up? I'm gonna stand up here. I'm gonna wiggle my hips. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> For so I saw every like uh, so when you go to baseball games these days, there is usually like in between innings they put the can you know they're like get try to get up on the jumbotron we're gonna play some goofy music and like make you do like kiss cam or whatever and there's usually one that's just like do a silly dance and like the parts that are the cringiest are like nine-year-old boys doing Fortnite dances in the stands or whatever it is (laughs) 
just looking like goobers because they're not they're not graceful they're all angular and awkward and they're not actually trying to be like pleasant they're trying to weird you out (laughs) and that's all i could think about was this moment where eddie's like using one of those old school pencil sharpeners probably doing it to like a weird rhythm and wiggling his hips in a way that is designed to disrupt math class. <laughs> Couldn't take it. The only visual I had, and I don't want to assume that you that either of you have or have not seen the movie Bridesmaids, but in the movie Bridesmaids, there's this awkward moment where the main character is like awkwardly sitting in the living room of her date's house where she's like waiting for him to get ready and she's just hanging out with his kid and he's like probably eight or nine years old and he's a very socially awkward child and at one point he just stands up and he's like, want to see my dance? And he does this weird thing where he just like moves his hips like really abruptly, like to, from one side to the next, and then like front and back. And she's like, "Cool, great." And I think that's probably what Eddie was doing. <laughs> I I think I like Eddie. I I kind of think he sucks too, but I really he's the force of this book. Yeah, maybe, he is. I I maybe kinda I have want, Eddie Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. I want, I I came away from the book wanting to know what. Eddie needs because it's sure. clearly like attention in some form, but I don't know. Like, does he need like more one, more of a one-on-one teaching experience? Like he's kind of, all these kids are in this class just trying to learn and he's disrupting it. Do you think it's things true. are hard for him at home? Are you worried about his home situation? That's another thing about the Bailey school kids is we don't see any of the Bailey school parents. True. Like the kids sort of materialize under an oak tree to talk about their battle plan every morning yeah. and then they go into class. We yeah. don't really see anybody's home life. Let me I, I let me read a thing actually from this is from Common Sense Media where you can go to like get background info on books and movies and stuff for kids. And there's a section that says what parents need to know about the Bailey School kids. Parents need to know that Marsha Thornton Jones and Debbie Dady's Bailey School Kids series is a bunch of playful adventures featuring inquisitive kids with boundless imaginations. The kids are largely unsupervised, but there's always a sense <laughs> <laughs> that parents are around and caring for them. Is there? Um, <laughs> I don't. Debatable. And maybe, maybe that manifests in the other books. I don't know. Yeah. This kind of had like a Peanuts vibe where like no one appears to be on the brink of any sort of trouble. Like no one is like in between meals. No one is suffering, ad- you know, like really overt hardship. And which then begs a bunch of questions around like what's going on with Eddie. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's not like we're learning, certainly not in this book. Maybe it happens in other books. I don't know. There's nothing about these kids' home lives, really, at all. It, it seems like that is meant to be as, like, it's fine. Everybody's fine. This is just about them at school. Who knows? I bet you learn more in the super specials. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's well. Those are all about Mrs. (laughs) Those are all about Mrs. Jeepers, unless she like visits every kid at home. There are some holiday specials that are not about Mrs. Jeepers, right? Maybe we get the holiday uh, traditions of each family. Aliens don't carve jack o' lanterns. SWAT monsters don't chase wild turkeys. Mrs. Claus doesn't climb telephone poles. It does seem to be hitting most of the. Christian holidays, at least. Wait, by that, do you mean Thanksgiving or whatever well, no, the no, no. Swamp there's a, Monster there's a Christmas holiday one, there's, an, there's an Easter one. All the sort of commercialized the Christian, ones, guess, Christian but, holidays. Uh, yes, right, right, right. And then there's St. Patrick's Day, uh, Halloween, and Thanksgiving. The Halloween one, I feel oh, like, is. must be... I mean, they're all kind of Halloween ones. In a way, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. The next part of the book right is eddie is kind of upset that no one is on his side Mm -hmm. 
which is again like these four characters apparently like reprise you know come back they recur and come back so I, I would be interested to know from anybody who is like super into this series if other books focus on howie or in particular howie or liza more because like in the middle of this book eddie's like i gotta go to her house to prove that she's a vampire or something that she's like out of out of the ordinary or, or it's to prove that he's not a chicken. Right. right? I was going to say that's like, of course, such a core part of the conversation. And I, yeah, I think yeah, like yeah. it's, it's something that I see in a lot of books meant for kids, particularly from like the eighties and nineties where it's like yes. the ultimate fear is of being a quote unquote sissy, which I think is probably a word that mm-hmm. is not used anymore. Correct. I, think um, so. I sure hope that it's not, but I thought that it was interesting because I felt like for the first half of the book, Melody was almost positioned as like this goody two shoes character where maybe I just identified with her a little bit as the one who always like wanted <laughs> to be the best at everything. And so I was probably projecting, but I was probably, I was thinking like, she's this teacher's pet and she's like so well behaved and a goody two shoes and all of that. Um, but then when Eddie starts getting his back up about why everybody's behaving and he really wants to get to, bo- to the bottom of what's going on. And again, like he really does not want people to think that he's a sissy melody then comes in and is like well i'm even less of a sissy than you so it's like she's not necessarily a teacher's pet so much as she's just like really competitive um and she's going to be like even less scared of things than eddie and she's going to be even better at being like rebellious than eddie is um so i thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic but the fact that like the absolute worst thing that you could be is afraid or unwilling to step up to a dare i think is like I mean, you see it in kids' movies and kids' TV shows, too, where it's like, you know, how many times has the plot of a whole kids' movie turned on, like, a dare, you know, and on kids, like, just feeling this pressure to step up to the plate on something that they think their friends would never do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it, It crops up a number of times just in this book. You know, you can spin out, like, Christmas Story and even, like, the, all the stuff in like Back to the Future about being a chicken and you know fun stuff like that but this is like Eddie multiple times people are like Eddie you won't be Eddie and he's like yes I will <laughs> Eddie's not a sissy yeah um, I mean you you live by peer pressure you die by peer pressure I guess yeah that's that's the lesson of Eddie <laughs> yeah and he and Melody both step up and they I like the fact that they sort of like team up I mean at a certain point they're not really against each other anymore as they're like going into this house as a team originally they were enemies but now they're friends um, and they have mm-hmm. to like be there for each other when they go into the house at night and find that there's a mysterious thumping coming from the long box in the basement of Mrs. Jeepers's house which they of course take to mean that they're a dead body inside and of course like why wouldn't that be the assumption or maybe you know maybe it was her inside resting because she's a vampire who knows i like that they don't really they don't really come to a firm conclusion there they even toss out that maybe she's married to count dracula and he was in the box and later she says that i think mrs jeepers says that he died yeah she says her husband died but that doesn't assuage any concerns right because Maybe he's undead, so who knows? I remember her being really... And this happened several times in the book to create the air of mystery that surrounds Mrs. Jeepers. But she answers questions (laughs) in a deliberately roundabout way that really, like... (laughs) 
what does she think that she is doing? Is she trying to convince these kids that she might be a vampire? That's the only justification I can think of. Do you so think imagine that she just this. wants them to know that she is? She's like sort of sneakily being like, just so you guys know and winking at them. Like, let's just all be on the same page here that I'm <laughs> a vampire. I don't know, she, maybe. Uh, she yeah, did say that she... found the passage, but yeah, go Okay, ahead. she had to... F- she said that she fled Romania. Right. And she didn't... Mm. Her family had to flee, which in my brain was like, oh, it's the early 90s. <laughs> a lot of conflict in Central to Eastern Europe. Interesting. Little touch there. But it could also be because she's a vampire and like eight people. Who knows? But then like kids break into her house... She knows that they broke into her house because she heard noises, she says. And she shows up the next day wearing like a bat bracelet and like basically decked out to troll them, mm-hmm. which is kind of rad, actually. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a bat bracelet before, Liza told her. Where'd you get it? My husband gave it to me. Where is he? Liza asked. Well, I am not exactly married anymore. That's the first week. <laughs> How come? Howie asks. Are you divorced? My parents are divorced. <laughs> Poor Howie. You just want to talk about it, huh? Okay. Not exactly. My husband died, Mrs. Cheaper said. Oh, I'm sorry, Liza said sadly. It is quite all right. Also weird. <laughs> Sometimes I feel as if he is still with me, Mrs. Cheaper said cheerfully. Mrs. Jeepers, what are you up to? What's your game? It's just a very mature conversation to be having. Even if you back out the vampire stuff, even this whole conversation about like, oh, like, are you divorced? It feels like a very adult conversation to be having with your third grade students. It feels Mm -hmm. very 90s. It feels like the crest of kids going through divorce and like... I don't know. That was a thing that felt like a given. My parents split up when I was young. And so like, it felt like a given in our generation, but it felt like we were the first one where it was kind of a given. And there was a lot of like articles in the news about like divorce rates rising and stuff like that. And so like you, and you would see it in a lot of movies where it's, you know, like your Mrs. Doubtfires and things and your Santa Clauses, which are like, (laughs) you know, like dad can't handle family life. So he acts out and we have to deal with the consequences. That's a 50% of movies released in the 1990s, I think. And so it's interesting that that little nugget is there from Howie. But then, yeah, you're right. It's like, how do you have... How do you identify that you're in the middle of a serious conversation? It happens very quickly with kids where like all of a sudden you are just having a real conversation when actually you thought you were talking about a bat bracelet. And now (laughs) it's like about when I was running a summer camp a couple years ago, like had an had a cool conversation with a kid about like a wrestling show. She went to this like adorable 10 year old telling me about wrestling And then like in the middle of it, talking about like how long her parents had been split up and how she was dealing with it. And it's like, it's kind of matter of fact for a kid, depending. And you're you're like, as an adult going, do I need to be extra sensitive here? Or can I just act like I would normally act? Sounds like Mrs. Jeepers played the vampire card Hmm. instead, uh, which seems to have worked for the rest of the book. Kids are cool. Kids are rad. Yeah, I mean, I think that this book is, I mean, and as we said, it's written by teachers. So I think it's it's sort of like a fun peek into the way that they perceive yeah. kids at this age. The fact that like, because you can read this book in, in one of two ways, really. I mean, I guess there are probably a lot of ways you can think about it. But the way I, there's sort of two like main readings that I can think of. The first is that like, yes, Mrs. Jeepers is a vampire and like we're meant to read into this like mythical storyline and and the like, case closed. End of story. The kids are right. 
done. I think the other way is that there's like a perfectly reasonable explanation for Mrs. Jeeper's somewhat like eccentric behavior. She lives in an old house, you know, not a haunted house, but a house that's older and maybe looks different than other houses in the neighborhood. She dresses differently than the other teachers, but just because she has a different style, you know, and, and the kids first instinct is just to be like, oh, well, she's a vampire. Um, and I think that coming from teachers, this book maybe is like meant to sort of be a subtle nod to that, which is that, you know, obviously kids have this tendency to use their imaginations and sort of blow things out of proportion. Um, and that's a fun way to read it as an adult. And I think like the more I think about it, that's sort of the way that I want to mm. reflect on the book because it makes it funny. Um, and I, it's kind of fun to think about like all the perfectly logical explanations for Mrs. Jeeper's behavior that might explain away just like the irrational conclusions that these kids are jumping to. As, as happy as I am for them to have these like beautiful imaginations, it's just fun to think about like mm, what's actually going on here. Yeah, like, I feel like he is always with me could just as easily be Mrs. Cheaper's expressing like a deeply held faith or something. Yeah. But because it's a public school, she she's not allowed to bring it up in more explicit <laughs> terms than that. And that's yeah. why she's fake. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk through the, the two like supernatural moments Andrew that happen because this is an interesting because I do want to I want to unpack these now with your reading alley of yeah, like so this is yeah this is Eddie acting out like the whole second half of the book is just Eddie Eddie determined to, I have a to note get what he needs out of this this section is called Eddie reborn <laughs> like Eddie has fought with a fourth grader who called him a sissy <laughs> and he's like no I will be Eddie and I will be more Eddie than I've ever been always be Eddie mm-hmm. A-B-E always be yeah. <laughs> so uh, Eddie is acting out as he is wont to do and he is chewing some gum and making a lot of burping noises to try and disrupt class and then he blows a bubble and burps at the same time, which honestly is impressive. True. Like I would, I am interested to see a kid do that. And then he decides I'm going to bl- just blow the biggest bubble I can and then pop it. And before he can do that, Mrs. Jeepers like rubs her magic brooch and points at him and the bubble pops all over him and gets gum in his hair and stuff. Creepy. Creepy, and yet, <laughs> and yet, maybe she just happened to be pointing at him, and the bubble was so big that it just, it, it just was so big that then it sort of like went kind of far over the sides of his face when it popped. Yeah, like uh. maybe she's a she is really well schooled in like physics, and she could just tell that the tensile strength of the bubblegum bubble was about to give out at the exact moment that she pointed. Right. This is this is the one. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, the, the book is being a little cute about whether she's a vampire or not. The second one where Eddie is disrupting the multiplication relay, which, which I, I'm not sure what that is. No, <laughs> I was really super fun, kind into of. this. Yeah. Yes. I think I would have enjoyed as, that. As somebody who didn't like math, I think I probably could have gotten behind something like this. As a kid yes. who was dominant in multiplication table nonsense like this, where it was like lightning round, like like you're at the arcade and you have to quarter up, like person who wins stays, king of the hill nonsense. Come at me with my nines. I'm going to multiply all my nines. Sit back down, you losers. I was super into this section of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but, um, what happens to Eddie? Ed, Eddie is disrupting this multiplication thing and Mrs. Jeepers rubs her brooch until it glows bright green. And then Eddie stands 
stock still in the middle of class for the rest of the exercise. And then at the end of class, she snaps her fingers and he has no memory of anything that happened in the interval. And like that obviously is not a coincidence. (laughs) I don't think. Yeah. I mean, harder for me to explain that one. (laughs) Harder for me to explain that one away. Because it's not even like she does a, like a hypnosis routine, right? Which you could like maybe explain away with like it just mesmerizing him or something. Like she just kind of rubs it, it glows, and then he's stuck there. And like the memory lapse and stuff. It does feel supernatural. If there were a section at the end where everything was explained to have a totally mundane like reasoning behind it, I don't know if just like Eddie has narcolepsy <laughs> and he just like fell asleep in the middle of class and then woke up at the end. I don't, I don't know, but this, this is one, the bubble one. I was like, okay, could, could go either way. This is sort of ambiguous. Maybe she did it, but probably she didn't. And then when she straight up hypnotizes a kid in the middle of class like that, something's going on here. If we hadn't been in, in Eddie's head though, enough to know that like he couldn't remember anything, then I would say this almost seems like a performance that Eddie would put on though. Like he seems like the kind of kid who would just like stand up. You know, he would do this just sort of to be performative and to put on a show. So I think if we had had less of a peek into his mindset around it, there Mm -hmm. could be an argument to be made that this is sort of just like another part of his class clown routine. So you're pitching either either Eddie and Mrs. Jeepers are in cahoots or this is just some kind of false flag operation where Eddie is just trying to get attention any way he can. Right. And I know both of those pitches are much more complicated than she's just a vampire and we're meant to have fun as kids and believe that the teacher is a vampire. But that's how I'm reading it. Sure. <laughs> I'm really now obsessed with an Eddie truther mentality where Eddie... <laughs> Was he was never hypnotized? He just did it himself to make the teacher be a vampire and get everyone on his side. That rules. You I never think know the, with Eddie, really. I mean, he is a wild card for sure. That's true. Like the garlic thing doesn't. So, like the next thing they do is like Howie and Melody. They find this always happens in vampire fiction. Someone finds a book about vampires and it's like, what if we put garlic everywhere? They're like, oh, I have some garlic salt. And they're like, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. And she sneezes a bunch. But then there's even a line from Eddie later where he's like, I don't like garlic. Yeah, that's, that stuff stinks. <laughs> I do. This is a during this moment is a good uh, like some texturing of the Eddie Melody relationship that we talked about. Oh, earlier, sure. Yeah. Where, where Melody says that. Eddie wasn't exactly her favorite person, but she still didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Mm. Yeah. So I, that, I, I, that was an interesting character moment in a book that doesn't, that only has two characters really. And it's Mrs. Jeepers and Eddie himself. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> There's a moment where, where Eddie is like disappointed that Howie won't cause trouble with him. And he has like a little like, man, Howie used to be cool moment, which like goes by really quick. We don't get much of Howie in this book. Yeah. Um, I want more Howie. Yes. Liza, I think Liza is used sparingly. Liza is like, hey, what if the world is more than it seems, the the character? Right. And I'm fine with that. But I th- I could use more Howie. And maybe he comes up in other books. <laughs> so they, they, but then, yeah. Yeah, they do the garlic. She sneezes a lot. Eddie is basically like, like you said, you know, could I, but it was weird because then he sort of, 
was going against his own point where he he was like, yeah, I don't like garlic either. And so then I was thinking, so do you think she's not a vampire? Like, what what is your, again, what is your end here? I feel like he couldn't quite decide how he felt about it because now he's arguing the opposite point that a lot of people don't like garlic. I certainly don't like garlic. But then he, as we spoke about, um, she finally sort of has like enough of his bullshit and calls him into the hallway <laughs> and excuse any page turning. But I, I feel like we need to sort of like actually read this last section here because... Yeah, because this this bears like more than any of the other things we've talked about so far. This This bears a lot of discussion because what yeah what are the even the options of what she could have done to this child right so we get very little we get mrs jeepers pulled eddie from his desk and said very quietly i will speak with you in the hall this instant we then get the other kids cleaning up the classroom kind of trying to restore order because they probably are extremely freaked out for obvious reasons um and then all of a sudden we have them back under the oak tree and what we get from eddie is i'll only say this you guys were right Mrs. Jeepers is no ordinary teacher. Is she a vampire? Liza asked. Howie grabbed Eddie's arm. Come on, you can level with us. Cool, Howie. Um, But Eddie wouldn't tell them what happened. All he said was, I know one thing. I'll never make her mad again. For the rest of the year, Eddie kept his promise. As a matter of fact, nobody in the third grade at Bailey Bailey Elementary ever dared make Mrs. Jeepers mad. And her green brooch never glowed again, although she wore it every day. I just feel unsatisfied. Keeping those kids on notice. I just feel yeah. unsatisfied. What does she have on Eddie? Yeah, did like, she did like, she find that he like grows weed under the bleachers <laughs> or something? Like, what is what's why why has Eddie been muzzled? Yeah, what did they talk about in the hallway? Vampires don't wear polka dots, but blackmailers do wear polka dots. Is what mm-hmm. I have learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got something on him. Yeah, He's what got did he admit to somewhere. her out there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a fraud. He's maybe he attends another school where he maintains a straight A average. And oh. He doesn't want the other kids at Bailey School to find out and ruin his sort of bad boy image. Sure. Yeah, that would be very embarrassing for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very into chess. But yeah, it's it's odd that this kid who is to this point been driven by peer pressure and an overwhelming need for attention suddenly has an opportunity to get both like to to be the center of attention and also to have these kids like all like hanging on his every word and he declines and like what is what's happened something is something is afoot here i mean it's a very unsatisfying ending to us but i guess if i think if I think about myself as a kid, maybe it's a more fun ending than than knowing. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it at least gets you to read the next book. And I will say book number two in the series, Werewolves Don't Go to Summer Camp, sounds pretty juicy. So maybe you get to the end of this book and you don't know and you're like, oh, maybe I'll find out in the next book. And then it goes on for 80 books where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. do werewolves go to summer camp? I'm going to have to go into book number three. Santa Claus doesn't mop floors. Does Santa Claus mop floors? We still don't know. Leprechauns, do they play basketball? And it just goes on and on. And maybe that's <laughs> the joy of being a kid and reading this book because as an adult, I just feel a little bit let down. I feel like I'm watching Lost. Like the 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 <laughs> books are so much more interested in asking questions than in providing answers. 
Yeah, and I guess that's the and fun that of it. Messy, yeah. I, I guess I get like you were saying, if it's a conversation in the classroom of third graders, fourth graders, that's fun, and it gets kids into reading. I found an article on School and Library Journal, um, and it's it's a series of articles called Endangered Series, and it's these librarians that are basically finding paperback series from the eighties and nineties and talking about why they're waning in popularity and whether or not they want to try to like bring them back in their own libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they sort of make a case for both sides. So for Bailey School Kids, their case. For for keeping was school stories are a large segment of the early chapter book market for good reason. They speak to the experience of students in a way other kinds of books don't. Bailey School Kids does a nice job of taking school stories and tweaking them, making for engaging reading. The case for not, it's a sort of twist on the case for keeping. Since there are so many school story books, it makes this series seem less essential. And as is typical for books getting on in years, the covers aren't helping matters. I think it's interesting that at no point in either of these sides, they mention the fact that these are school stories with a very strange twist, um, the supernatural stuff going on. But I, I think I generally see where the case for not is coming from. I mean, these are nice school stories, but I think there are a lot of really great school stories out there for kids. I, I think maybe for reluctant readers, this is like a really fun series um, because yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it's a sort of puts a twist on those more like mundane day in day out tales of just like being a kid. But I would not be surprised if these sort of went by the wayside. I think kids are also now used to like seeing supernatural plot lines told in like such a sensational way because of technology and just like what we're able to do with animation and stuff. Like I I just don't know that kids would be taken with this on the page as much now as they were in the 90s. Well, I feel like the, and this is the case with a lot of this 90s fiction, but just like the the sheer quantity that is out there, like just talking about like this, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, Goosebumps, Babysitter's Club, like they all ran for so long. I think many of them, not all of them, but but many of them just ended up having ghostwriters instead of the original author. It's surprising you know, that this was all the, all the two of them, Yeah, to be yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah. But, uh, but I think whether, whether this is deserved or not, I think it does create sort of an air of disposability to these books. Like it's, as opposed to some kind of, you know, fiction that is endured, like maybe Narnia or some of the, some of the other like shorter series that have like a limited number of entries, like no one entry is particularly special. And so there's no big push to preserve it. Like there is for, for something that's maybe a little more narrowly focused and a little more targeted. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like this is like a step above reading like a longer comic strip right like it's like your inner it's a couple of characters that get introduced very very quickly a couple of memorable scenes but like ultimately nobody really changes that much and you don't really learn anything new so it's mostly just about like picturing these interesting scenarios and thinking about what you would do if you were there it's not about like really any of the kids like diving into their lived experience or something like that and so yeah it does feel just it feels disposable in the way that like an enjoyable comic strip can feel disposable where it's like yeah that was funny and i know those characters and so i'm gonna read the next one and see what happens and then in aggregate i will remember the bailey school kids and all of their adventures but i'm not gonna 
if I read if I was a kid and I read all 80 of these, I probably wouldn't be like, oh, here are my three favorites. I'd probably just be like, oh, yeah, that was a weird world of characters. Yeah. yeah and, and this and this carries over to a lot of more like adult focused genres like romance. And yeah. Yeah. Fantasy. Like I, I'm thinking of there. I mean, there are a ton of sort of disposable like murder mystery books that are very formulaic. Um, I think the Redwall books beyond like the first two or three mm-hmm. are formulaic to the point of being forgettable in a sort of similar way. So it, it's it's not a problem exclusive to this like kids fiction, but it is. It's if not even inherently that, a problem per se. No, no, no. no if you're going just, if, with the if, right expectations. If you have something that runs for a, a million books and it's it's so formulaic that you know exactly what the beats are going to be before you even pick the thing up, then yeah, like obviously if you are an educator trying to make a reading list or like develop some kind of curriculum that's going to stick with kids, like maybe you don't go for these first. Uh, I was just looking at, I was looking again at the book list because what's interesting about this one is that it hits on the archetypical student teacher relationship in elementary school where like, you're still like, do teachers even go home? Mm-hmm. Do they just live here? <laughs> right. Like they might as well be supernatural beings. Right. Cause you don't really like the, the adults that you have frames of reference for are your parents maybe, or whoever cares for you. And, you know, the same guardians of of your friends. And so you're getting to an age where you're starting to meet and really grok other adults. And so these other books are like werewolves don't go to summer camp. Santa Claus doesn't mop floors. Leprechauns don't play basketball. Ghosts don't eat potato chips. Like, who are we? I'm interested in what the other books might be doing with like, what are the relationships with these people that the kids are meeting and how might maybe over time like that gets really playful because is it like different modes of, is it always different modes of authority or is it about just kind of like maybe meeting some other types of people that they wouldn't otherwise meet? Like it's like aliens don't wear braces. Like, is that a new kid at school who has braces and is also kind of odd and they don't, you know, maybe they think that they're an alien. Um, Maybe a dentist. Maybe it, Ooh, maybe a dentist. An alien dentist, like the movie Coneheads. Um, yeah, it's just to me, it's interesting that like because this is the first one, it really keys in on that on that kid experience of how you relate to a teacher. If they're all that way, that would make them extra disposable. But I wonder if some of maybe why they succeeded for their time was because they were kind of exploring different adult young kid like vernaculars for lack of a better word yeah taking kids to camp and to different seasons i think that worked successfully for so many of these scholastic paperback series of the 90s i mean even if you look at a babysitter's club they went on all kinds of adventures and they're building different kinds of relationships with neighbors and other adults you know it's just i think that was a an interesting and common model and i think if nothing else i think this series is such a great entry point for kids especially reluctant readers into other kinds of series. It seems like a pretty natural progression to me from this series to Goosebumps. I've only ever read one of the Goosebumps books, um, but it seems like Mm -hmm. this, it seems to me like a librarian who sees a kid who enjoyed Bailey School Kids could then very easily say to them, okay, I think you'd love Goosebumps. And this is such a, I think, a narrow window of time that a kid would be into books like this because it's such like a specific reading level. And I think kids could grow out of this very quickly. Like there's only a couple of months when this would be cool to a lot of kids. (laughs) Um, So I think you sort of have to catch them at the right moment. And I think like 
a series like this can really help build a kid into a future genre reader. You know, even if it's somebody who ends up just reading through a lot of books that are ultimately forgettable to them, I think that that sort of like breeds that kind of a reader. And it's a great, like for those kids that like aren't quite ready to read a chapter book, um, but are past picture books and, you know, aren't snobs like I was, this is like a really great (laughs) series to meet them where they are. I think. Well, and, and to just to just to be one hundred percent clear, like I am in no way trying to like pass judgment on on genre fiction yeah. or, or um, yeah, yeah, like scholastic paperbacks and stuff. Like I read a ton of them, I enjoyed it. If you read them and you enjoy it, like that's great, and and please keep doing it. But I'm I'm just I was just talking purely about the the like preservation. Question. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and that's like, are true. they still relevant? Yeah. 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 I don't know that they are, but I'm glad that we had an opportunity as three adult yeah. people to discuss in such depth. I have to tell you, I did not know that we were going to have such an intense conversation about this 77 page book, but <laughs> I'm glad that we did. And I appreciate you joining me for it. Other than the Bailey School Kids, what have you been reading and loving lately? Because we here at SSR are always trying to help our listeners grow their reading list. Certainly does not need to be a kid's book or a YA book. Anything that you've been enjoying lately that you would recommend? Amend is fair game. Andrew, can you legitimately recommend the Wheel of Time series, which I know you did a big reread of recently? Man, you can't. We've already been going for an hour. I can't go for another hour. <laughs> this is now a Wheel of Time podcast. It was a Bones podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a Wheel uh-huh. of Time podcast. I mean, they are doing a TV series about it, so I guess it's it's going to find some kind of renewed relevance uh, in in much the same way as like the Lord of the Rings books did or the, uh, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books did. I mean, read the first one, and if you like it, keep going. And if you don't, then don't is the most like succinct advice. Like they were very important to me because I read them as a teen. I reread them as an adult and had some problems, but thought a lot of the like character work held up. So I don't know, but it's it's a huge time investment to just like casually recommend that people get into. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I find it sort of hard to read beyond uh, what we're doing for Overdue right now. So right now I'm reading The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, which is definitely not something that I would recommend that most people get into. (laughs) But um, a while back, Craig and I read uh, Emily Wilson's translation of The Odyssey, and I keep keep thinking about it a lot, even though we finished it a while ago, because it's really exceptional and and it and it makes it accessible for a modern audience without sort of diluting why it's like a capital I important work. Yeah. So that's, I guess, if I had to pick something, that would be what I'd say. What, do you, what about you, Craig? Um, since we were, we're recording this um, not long after our, our October recording, so I read The Ghost Bride by Yangshi Chu for our Spooktober series, and I really enjoyed that book. It's like, it's not YA, but it has a lot of, the same beats and the same arcs in it. So if like, if a teen girl or like eight, well, she's 18 kind of like discovering who she is by going to the afterlife and still trying to figure out who she's going to end up with or not. Um, sounds like something you might be interested in. It's a really cool book. It does a couple of different things at once. Um, and it was one of the ones that I've read for the show recently that I was like, Oh, I'm just excited to, like find out what happens. Like I was a very quickly took my podcaster critic hat off because the book just demanded that I do it. So the ghost bride, it was fun. 
Well, thank you for those recommendations. I will include links to them in the show notes for this episode. It is so nice Great. as a book podcaster to to find a book that you're reading for the podcast that doesn't feel like homework. So yeah, uh-huh. um, I would say that's a bit that's a glowing endorsement. And uh, I appreciate you both taking the time to read Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. Listeners, if you don't listen to the Overdue podcast, not sure what you're doing, please go check it out. It's been so fun talking to both Andrew and Craig for this episode. Um, and thanks again for your time. I, I, I want to know how long it did take you to read this book, though. Seriously, these all 77 pages. I mean, I read half of it yesterday between like 5.30 and 5.45, <laughs> and then I read the other half of it today between like 6.20 and 6.35. So, all right. Yeah. I don't feel so bad then for asking. Yeah. It wasn't a big ask. Yeah, no, it was, no, it was like it was, a hot half hour. It was about a, it was about a half hour, which was kind of it was neat to read a book that short. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. it was neat well, to, to like not, to go back to the Fountainhead thing again. <laughs> you spend half an hour reading a chapter of that thing, so yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to consume an entire work in a manageable amount of time. Yeah, you can yeah. tell a story in that period, which is kind of cool yes. to, to be reminded of. But thank you again so much. It's great talking to you, and I hope you have a great night. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Us. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.